Blurred up, blurred up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D-P-R-U-P. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. You can find us on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Find us on Blurred.com, our partners. Great website full of nerdy content from a black cultural lens. This is our last show of 2020. We have made it. I'm your host, Brendan, and I'm joined by Tiara. Hello. It's been a long time. Yes, it's been since September. Yeah, we did the, the the PS5 event. Right. Right. That was that was a good time. That was a good time. It was a very good time. Yeah. Today we are here to talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the Netflix film play thingy. Kind of a short film type thing. Right. We're also going to talk about Wonder Woman 1984. And lastly, we're going to discuss Pixar's Soul. I do want to talk quickly about it. You had a, a tea time. I did. Today. Me and my friend, we decided to dress up in our most expensive clothing and go to a five-star hotel that had a restaurant called Blind Spot. And they have this afternoon tea thing from like noon to 3 p.m. or something like that. And you can just like reserve it and you just sit there and like you get like a tier of hors d'oeuvres and things like that and tea to try. And they draw your face on the tea and it's just crazy. You show me this picture. So you said they took a picture of you and your friend. Yep. And then they drew that entire picture, not just your face. No, the whole picture is on the tee. Yeah, that that's amazing. Yeah. How long did that take? I don't know. We were too busy chatting to figure it out. But when we came back, they didn't even tell us. They just said, oh, this is a Christmas special. And we were like, great. And then they came by and then we see our faces how do you on the tea. how do you consume that? Do you just like oh, I was a great and you just like, <laughs> or are you too reluctant to actually like we were very reluctant because we were like we don't want to destroy the art right exactly because this took time and effort. I saw a few weeks ago. I saw this picture of someone drew a cockroach on their like latte. Oh, no way! <laughs> and, like. And I saw a lot of folks who were really put off by that, like really angry, like a very visceral, like, rage. Oh, yeah. Would you drink that? You know, I would feel disgusted for at least two seconds. Because it looked really realistic. It was really good. I would look really disgusted. And then I would just like, you know, cut it out, put it to the side and then drink it, you know, just so I don't look at it anymore. Okay. You know, I don't want to see it. Okay. But I still drink it. You know? Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, it's coffee. It's just coffee. It's not a real cockroach. Well, I don't have a segue <laughs> to get into this movie. Right. Let's just go on with it. Speaking of Brown, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. This is a, a movie, short film, play type thing. Yeah. It's in the vein of Fences. Have you seen Fences? Yeah, it's in the vein of Fences, definitely. Right. This is directed by George C. Wolfe. Produced by Denzel Washington. And who's the writer? Ruben Santiago Hudson was right, the writer. Right, 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 right. Going into this movie, I don't know about you, but I thought this was going to be some sort of real biopic about right. Ma Rainey, her rise to fame, Just and whatever like the happened usual in between. Type, exactly. Yeah. And so it starts off pretty cool. She's performing in under this tent. It seems really authentic. I got to give credit to the set designer and the wardrobe designer. A fantastic job. Like, it really brought you there. And Viola Davis really transforms 
into the character. Even though I knew it was her, it was hard to really see her even knowing she was there. Right. She was unrecognizable. Like the fact that she is such a dedicated actress Mm. that she's able to just transform her entire self to fit a role. It's just amazing. No, she was incredible. After that scene, we're, we're going to the studio to record. And, you know, everyone's getting settled in. And about, I don't know, an hour passes by. Right. <laughs> Whoa. It was like, what is happening? Yeah, I'm like, we're, we're spending a lot, a lot of time here. Uh, is something going to happen? And I realized that, oh, wow, this is going to be a, just a day in the life with these people in this studio. Like, literally just this day. This film is not a biopic. This film is about Maharani recording one of her most famous songs and some fictionalized drama that happens at the studio between her band members and her business manager and the owner of the studio. And it also kind of became, for me, bottle horror film. Right? (laughs) Like, I was like, something bad is going to happen. I can feel it. There's just tension everywhere. Every single second there was tension. Even when they had the moments where it was lighthearted, I still felt like something bad is going to happen. And Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, just, they steal the show here. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's his, his last performance, and he was fantastic. Every time him or Viola Davis talked, you were just afraid for anyone, anyone around. Anyone around Levy. It's like, I was just like, oh my God, Levy is here and this is a problem. Like, I was scared for everybody. I mean, it started off light. Like, he was just, you know, just this fun, right, fun-loving guy, right. loving the ladies, etc. And then when the shoe drops, some points literally. <laughs> Very literally. You're terrified for everybody. Yeah, it keeps escalating. And escalating. And I'm curious, how old do you think Bozeman was supposed to be in this movie? I think he was supposed to be like 32. Right. He was supposed to be a young man, just early 30s, unmarried. 10 years younger than his actual age. Right. And he, he looked the part to me. Eating that uh, that Wakandan mm-hmm. heart fruit. Was that, was, that, what was that fruit name? I don't know. Whatever the fruit was, but he was eating it. <laughs> He's such a troll. It, it started off that he was a troll. Yeah. And then he became like like a literal monster. Oh, yeah. Back to Viola, though. She, as Ma Rainey, she, I just love that she didn't take no shit. She really didn't. She was like, you're going to do what I say you're going to do. And we're going to go along with it so that I can be the star that I know that I am. Her first exchange with the, the cops. Ooh. It was at that point that I really sat up in my chair. Me too. At the same time, mm. I don't know how you felt about this movie, but there was kind of a clash about gender dynamics and that era, which was very important throughout, but also about maybe youth against age. Who knows best? Even if I create something, is it my right to do it the way that I want to do it? Or should I listen to people who could help me possibly make more money, become more famous in the long run? And I thought that was handled really well. But ultimately, I think I side with Ma Rainey, or at least Viola, Viola Davis's side on this. How do you feel about that? I was mixed. Okay. Because I can understand that sometimes when you're an older person, you feel like you have the knowledge, right? You have experienced so much and you have seen how things usually go, and at least in your life and in the environment around you. 
But then you meet someone younger and they come in and they're like, this is how I think it should be. Try this out. Maybe try this new thing and it'll make things better. And as an older person, you don't really want to listen to the younger person say that. True. Because you're like, I know this. I've done this before. This is how it's always been. Right. But then at the same time, just because someone is younger doesn't mean they have zero knowledge about something. Right. So I bring a a fresh perspective. Exactly. So I felt very mixed about the age dynamic there Mm -hmm. because sometimes age just doesn't matter when it comes to a fresh perspective. Right. Sometimes you need it from someone younger. Sure. But then at the same time, sometimes the younger audience is like very cocky. They also feel like they know everything when their experience is a lot less than the older person. So it's like, where's that balance? of being able to listen to each other and take little nuggets that actually fit, you and know? I, and I think, obviously, the and the way that Ma Rainey explains just her experience as a black woman, you have these gender dynamics of people wanting things from you, but calling you all sorts of names and talking all kinds of stuff about you behind your back. And this music is the only thing that kind of gives her power. And to have anybody especially a man try to take that away from her i would understand that she'd be very very protective about that right so i can't blame her i can't blame levy either and i I thought that was really cool what was unfortunate is just how they communicated to everyone really in some ways you can't blame them in other ways it's mm, is it really worth all that? Right. You're like, there's a healthier way to say the same thing. Is it really worth it to say it like this? But in 19, was it 27? Right. Again, can you blame people for how, how they react? Right. If you're Levy and you've witnessed your father be killed, your mother assaulted, can you blame his rage, his trauma? Right. And for Ma Rainey, she's surely been through a lot. She's explained that she's been through a lot. Can you blame her for, for that too? There's no way for me to really say anyone who's wrong in this situation. Right. There's definitely one part that I want to get to later that I thought was very wrong. But Villa Davis in the behind the scenes look on the film thought that showing black people in regular day-to-day things was a progressive idea. Yeah which I agree with. We love Black Panther, but do I have to watch him struggle with morals and heroism only on that big stage like that in in these really fantastical circumstances? Or can we see people really struggle and react in their regular life? What I kind of was scratching my head about in this was why didn't they just do the original song and then just record an alternate take? I mean, jazz does it all the time, right? Right. You have alternate takes of a lot of songs. Exactly. So that was a head scratcher and they they seemingly had no problem wasting vinyl it was really cool to see how that was made yeah that was wild nowadays you know you just all right guys take two cut let me just erase the file let's start right. over again and now back in those days you that really cost money mm-hmm. we say that you know pseudo time costs money sure but that was legitimate like work you could see why they were wasting this money Oh, yeah, I was saying that there's actual money just on the ground. Right. One of the managers even said, he was like, are you sure we're going to we're going to be doing a lot of takes? Because this might cost you a lot of money. And she was like, no, we're doing what I said. Right. And I liked her her loyalty. Yeah. 
and she expected that from her bandmates. I dug that. Even though she was a hard task master, and honestly, I can't even call her hard because she just wanted folks to just play the songs. It's not like she... There's, there's nothing, there was nothing in the movie that suggested that she was hard on people. Right. She just expected respect and loyalty. Right. And I think that's kind of why I, I, I side with her is because people around her are making it seem like her basic requests are so hard to do. Right. Like, you know, she told her manager, I want a Coca-Cola. Like, why is that so hard to to get right. for, for me? Um, her bandmates are like, well, hey, I know we've been doing this for a long time, but let me take away your art and, and you just do what we tell you to do. And you're like, <laughs> like, that's just basic respect. This is this is my thing. Right. We can, we can have a discussion about it maybe, but the way that I'm going to come into the studio and you guys are not playing my song ahead of time. I'm upset. Yeah. And like, I have a right to be yeah, upset. Yeah, like, yeah. Can we talk about the behind the scenes. Oh yeah. I am ready. Cause my goodness. So I don't know how you feel about this. I um I was listening to George C. Wolf talk and I noticed something. He sounds like Kermit the Frog. Yep, he does. <laughs> I, I was like sitting there like It's like, dude, you're brilliant, but it was hard <laughs> to actually focus on what he was saying because I just kept hearing Kermit the Frog. I had to rewind it. Just, right, just every to... time. <laughs> I guess good focus. No hate on you, brother. You're a genius, but... Great, great film. Yes. Spoil the time, though. Spoil the time. Just just for a moment. How'd you feel about the ending of this? Of the film? Mm. Oh, man. I was quiet for a long time. Like when it ended the way it did, I just sat there and I kind of just like stared at the screen because I was like, okay, yes, it was escalating, but I didn't think Levy would actually do it, you know? It feels like those are things that only a play would do. Right. And I, mm, uh, a friend of the show also said if it was, if I watched it as a play, like watched it live maybe i would be okay with that right but as a movie as a, as a movie narrative it felt it, it was jarring right it it was a little bit out of out of place if he i think if levy stabbed the manager that would make more sense totally because he said you know i know how to handle white people and then in his rage he realized that he didn't really know how to do this yeah. and he messed up and took it out on his fellow oppressed right and that happens all the time. We're getting shitted on. And instead of punching up at the people of privilege, we take it out on each other sometimes. Right. And that's very important. That's, that's sad. That's a sad reality. And again, that's a progressive thing to, to show. But the way it was shown. Yeah, I was... Mm. I don't know if it's a Southern-only term, but we usually say crabs in a barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crabs that in a bucket, yeah. Right, crabs in a bucket, crabs in a barrel, mm-hmm. where you see one crab, he's like, I'm going to do it. I got this. I'll take care of it. And the other crab's like, no, 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 you're trash too. Come right. back down, you know. And it's not even that. It's just people are just, the rest of the bandmates are just content. That's the yeah. thing. It's not like they're becoming more famous than him. They're just content. And he's coming in to just disrupt all of that. All of just it. Just because he's angry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's a that's a good lesson to take from from this. 
don't let your rage consume you and don't let it spill out and hurt people that don't deserve it. Just don't let that leak out and poison your relationships. Right. So, yeah. Do you have anything else to say? Or are you good? No, that was it. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of strong women, let's jump to Wonder Woman. Now, unfortunately, Tiara has not seen this film. I did not see it. And I took I took the bullet for her. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to give a spoil-free review at first, and then I'm going to spoil the heck out of it, and then we'll go into Soul. So it's no secret that I didn't love the original Wonder Woman. I don't know how you felt about it. I don't remember it. Okay. If that tells you how I felt about it. Yeah. Uh, I think it did well establishing the character of Diana, but it was a bit long and light on the action. Diana only had one action scene against a superhuman. And for me, it was a step backwards from the badass heroine we saw manhandle Doomsday and Batman v Superman. But fans have said that because it was an origin film, we shouldn't have expected too much, even though Superman's origin story four years before that still has the greatest action scenes of all the new DC films. Anyway, I was willing to give uh, Warner Brothers the benefit of the doubt. And with all the origin baggage out of the way, I hoped Wonder Woman would get a transformative sequel like Captain America got with The Winter Soldier. And indeed, Patty Jenkins' own words during a recent press conference said, she's only Wonder Woman in the last scene of the first movie. So I found myself really craving doing a movie about Wonder Woman, now full-blown Wonder Woman, And then I started reflecting on what I felt was going on in our world and what Wonder Woman would want to say to the world. And the story came out of that. Sounds good, right? Yeah. So for this spoiler-free review, I want to address four basic questions that I think everyone is concerned about. Number one, is this a good sequel? Number two, does this help bridge the gap between her origin and her first appearance in Batman v Superman? Number three, is 1984 important to the narrative? Number four, is it worth risking my life and the lives of my loved ones to see it on the big screen? And the answer to all four questions is, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, this is a bad movie. <laughs> really? I actually got off the phone with my mom today, and she had just seen it. And I said, how was the movie? And she was like, oh, it's great. Now, I never take my mom's movie review words seriously because my mom is just easily satisfied by entertainment but then i asked my brother and he was like don't watch it you're gonna hate it let me get into it this movie starts off pretty cool there's a decathlon like event on themiscura diana is a child and that child actor was great she competes against older women and it was pretty exciting i thought to myself my nieces and my students would be inspired by this i was inspired i wanted to like leave the room and start jumping on jungle gyms out in the school and stuff, you know? But to be honest, what the narration tried to set up in that scene for the rest of the movie, it didn't need to spend so much time on this versus mm-hmm. what could have been developed and explored in the rest of the movie. But Gal Gadot, she's, she's still good as Diana Prince, despite the writing and the overall liberal white feminist perspective that gets in her way. At the end of the first film, she chose love over hate in her final fight with Ares. Do you remember that? Yes. I choose love. And you can see that when she confronts the major villains in this movie. Now, we know that the newest comic versions of Wonder Woman don't have any hesitation to kill when they want or when they need to. But Patty Jenkins and 
Jeff Johns have anchored this character's take on criminal justice and compassion and reformation, which is sure to her original character. And it's pretty refreshing for just overall superhero films that are just bent on just pummeling the crap out of their opponent. But if you're a minor villain, it's a dice roll. In the first action scene stopping robbers in a mall, we see this in the trailer, she drops them on a cop car with such force that it totals the vehicle. <laughs> Other times, she pulls chairs out as people fall so that they aren't injured more. I'm looking at Tiara's confusion face. It's like, <laughs> if she's supposed to have compassion and be light on the damage, how is she going to hurt the minor characters more than... But it's like it, Batman, though. You know, Batman will, like, break and destroy these henchmen. But when it's like Joker, I mean, he'll he'll punch him around a little bit, but it's like, hey, man, I'm going to go to Arkham and, right. and try to be better, you know? It's like, you need to calm down, but let me kill the henchmen. It's fine. Yeah. Let me, like, throw the henchmen off the roof. But, like, you, I'm going to tie you up and, you know. It's, eh. The contradiction there. Yeah. It's like the villain that should actually get the most damage gets the least damage. Exactly. Exactly. You're totally right. Um, but her compassion and reluctance to harm people is inconsistent, but I think Gal sells it when the script demands it. And let me reiterate when the script demands it, because about 70 years have passed since World War I. A lot has happened in the world that the writers and directors would rather you just ignore. Remember, the first film ends with Dinah being exiled and choosing to be a hero of love for Earth. So what did Dinah do during the women's suffrage movement that concluded two years after that war? How about the Great Depression? World War II? The Civil Rights era? The Korean War? The Vietnam War? What was mm-hmm. she doing this entire time? Well, apparently, she's been moping over the loss of Steve. <laughs> As a woman, that frustrates me. Like, this is supposed to be about Wonder Woman. And she is moping for years and decades. years, decades, over a man. That she really knew for what? A short amount a of few, time. A, a few weeks, maybe? Yeah. I mean, I forgot the timeline, but that movie was not that long. It was like about a, about less than a month. Yes. Anyway, she fights crime sometimes, but at the same time, she doesn't want to reveal herself to the public for reasons unknown. But as we saw in the trailer... She doesn't have anything covering her face while she fights in the aforementioned crowded mall in her flamboyant attire. But she breaks security cameras a few minutes after she arrives on the scene like that matters. Like, isn't your face already on the camera now? Yeah. Aren't there hundreds of witnesses right now? Right. And didn't you just drop villains on a cop car? <laughs> like, how much are you really trying to to be in the shadows? You've been seen. Because this ain't working. (laughs) You have been seen. This ain't it, Chief. No. (laughs) All this is in like the first 15 minutes of the film, and it lets you know it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know what it wants its hero to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, her job is a Smithsonian curator. Stop. I mean, that's fine. I mean, that's fine. I mean, she she worked in the Louvre, I think, in BVS. That's fine, whatever. But there's no mention of whether she has kept this job for 70 years. And no one asks questions or if she's been moving around. I think it'd been cool to see, like, maybe she, like, through the decades, she's been this, this, and that. Even right. even a small montage, maybe. I think that would have been cooler than the child Diana scene for, like, 10 minutes in the first part of the film. Anyway, um, Chris Pine is back as Steve Trevor. And I won't spoil how. And he's fine. And his relationship with Diana is still sweet. 
However, the fish out of water story is flipped with Dinah showing him the ropes in this new time period. And this is where all the, haha, it's the 80s moments happen. But there isn't enough time spent on that, and there weren't enough surprises to make it fun for the audience. Do you remember in the first film when Diana like had ice cream for the first time? Yeah. And it was, that was adorable. That was cute. Yeah. But in this one, Chris like encounters an escalator for the first time. Ooh. Wow, you know what I'm saying? an escalator. Wow, it's, it's the future. Whoa. <laughs> Looks over, oh, it's a break dancer. Wow. And it's like literally like a two-second throwaway. When he could have like touched the video game system for the first time. He that would have been revolutionary. 84, he could have walked out of Ghostbusters. Exactly. His first non-silent and color film. Mm-hmm. Something. So, yeah, because of that, the film never justifies its time setting. I would assume it is simply in the past so that people don't question where are the other superheroes when events that affect the world happen. There's like some anti-Russia stuff, but that could happen right now. So, right. It, again, it doesn't justify itself at all. But compared to the first film, the movie spends less time with Diana, and she shares the screen with villains Kristen Wiggs, Barbara Minerva, Cheetah, and Pedro the Mandalorian Pascal as Max Lord. Kristen Wiig plays this nerdy co-worker who admires Diana, and while initially Diana is put off by her, they soon start to develop a believable friendship. And the chemistry between them is fine during the first half of the movie. Both see positive traits in the other, and you could see them becoming good friends if given better circumstances. Minerva's descent into villainy is understandable in the beginning, but by the end, especially the Cats 2019 Secret of the Ooze transformation, mm. <laughs> the motivation becomes murkier for me. Mm-hmm. Have you have, you saw the trailer for this, right? Yes. How do you feel about that that costume, the final costume? I was like, what's going on here, man? <laughs> Roxanne Gay just put a tweet out while I was coming to the studio and she said, if this didn't work for cats last year, why would you put someone in this costume now? Exactly. <laughs> she looked terrible. With uh, Pedro Pascal, this is my second experience with him as an actor. Because I think he was in Game of Thrones. Yes. But I've never watched that show. Mm. So my first experience with him is The Mandalorian. Okay. And I just saw his face like a couple weeks ago. He, this is night and day with him. He is wonderfully campy as a blowhard TV personality who is failing at a major business venture on the verge of bankruptcy. There's even a plot where he tries to ascend to high levels of power in the U.S. Does that sound familiar? There's not enough of a parallel to Trump or depth to this character to make a real statement. But, um... (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to talk about that in the spoiler section, too. To bring some humanity to him, he has a small side plot with a son who looks nothing like him. Wow. It's the Jingle Jangle problem. Did you watch Jingle Jangle? Yes, I did. You know how, like, that daughter looked nothing like those parents? They were not related. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can't find anybody. Who, this is a $200 million movie. You can't find anybody who looks like him remotely. This th- this might as well have been different strokes. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been kind of circling around the whirlpool of the negative, but I'm about to just, just plunge into it. It's time. Uh, number one, this is a long-ass movie. Whew. This is about five minutes longer than the first film. Two hours and 35 minutes. My goodness. The only DC film of this era, longer than this, is BVS at mm-hmm. three at over three hours. And you could tell there's like a patty cut out there because there are important loose ends that don't get tied up with either of the villains, which is very unsatisfying after spending so much time with them. Like the first film, the action is once again few and far between, and it's overall executed and shot poorly. As I said, the first fight scene is at a shopping mall with some very human robbers. I clocked nearly 
an hour and a half later. I'm not exaggerating until we get to the second real action piece. What? I'm not. I'm not lying. It was like it was like a minute and twenty five minutes. And it's in the desert. The one um, we saw in the trailer, and it's again against a v- very human group of private security forces. This is the best action scene in the film, which isn't a high bar to clear, but it's baffling that a woman with powers that rival Superman is given such meager challenges. Yes. There are only two fights with Cheetah, one of them being the anticlimactic climax in the dark, which I assume was deliberate because, again, her ultimate form design was awful. She doesn't even have color. It's like a black and white Cheetah. What in the world? And she rarely slows down for us to really absorb how awful it is. And then at one point, it wasn't enough to be in the dark. They fall into dark water to fight. (laughs) This is not how you want to end your superhero blockbuster. Oh, and that that gold armor she has, if you thought that was going to do anything special, stop those thoughts right now. Oh, man, no. It's the equivalent of changing a, a video game skin right before you go to a battle just to see it look cool in motion. None of these scenes are worth seeing on the big screen. Wow. Especially with as powerful as Wonder Woman is made to be, it it kind of like makes you really think about the dynamic of how women, female superhero, like women superheroes are seen versus male superheroes. Male superheroes get the challenges. They get the really hard, complicated bosses or, or villains. But female superheroes, there's just one bad cop, so... They knock him out and yay, I saved the day. And that's that's what's mind boggling to me about how many people love these movies because they're like, yay, feminism and she's doing it. And I'm like, on a grand scale, she's someone who is on par with Superman, the strongest female hero in the DC universe, one of the strongest period in the DC universe. And you have her fighting mall robbers and human crowds like what it literally misses the point like people are like yay feminism but no one's actually really well there's a small group of people that are realizing that she's not actually meeting the real point of feminism of her having almost equal powers to superman yeah completely misses the point completely and i want to get to the my other other points we're almost done with the spoiler free one the the writing and the dialogue are worse in the first film. If you recall, the original film had Diana saying, at times, witty commentary on the world of men and how she viewed herself. I think she was on a boat and she was like, women need men for procreation, not pleasure, or something like that. And I was like, okay. All right. Okay. Bars. Right. None, of, none of that here. Oh. A lot of that is gone. It's substituted for her giving looks or simply ignoring men, which is a statement in itself, to be fair, but it would have been nice to see her drop more wisdom and observations after spending so many decades here. She just seems depressed and colder than the previous film. And if she's been that way for 70 years, no wonder she hasn't done a lot of heroism for anybody. Mm-hmm. But she was at the mall for some reason. Um, I don't know. Just, just Ultimately, the film buckles under the weight of trying to juggle too much. And ultimately, it doesn't serve anything or anyone very well. And on that note... For a movie as long as this is, they do a lot of hand-waving. For example, Diana develops two unexplained, unearned power upgrades. One of them may undermine the feminist narrative of the character, and for the other, it undermines the problem Wonder Woman 
has throughout the second act. Mm. The theme of the movie from that first narration is that cheating or lying, cutting corners ultimately gets you nowhere. And how ironic is it to have Diana develop two new powers out of nowhere, powers that she should have used in subsequent films and later in this in her in this movie. In some ways, the same goes for her lasso, which develops new powers like latching onto lightning, clouds, and other things in the movie that leave you scratching your head. Cool to look at, but huh? It's almost like Captain America's shield. In the beginning, it was just like, oh, I just stopped bullets. But now it's like it bounces in weird ways and it, yeah. it cushions his fall from very, very tall heights for some reason. The Russo brothers just said, they pretty much just said his shield is magic. And now the lasso does whatever it wants, whatever the plot needs. It makes Justice League and BVS look even worse because it cut those powers out. And it was at times equivalent to when, have you ever seen Superman 2? Yes. Remember when he like took off that, cellophane's ass off his chest and just yes. threw it at that dude for no reason and you're like dude where'd that come from like what <laughs> what is this this is this happened in this movie a few times oh man can she just make up powers whenever the plot demands it it just makes dc films look worse for not having a clear strategy when it comes to this iconic character patty jenkins has tried to come out against joss whedon's justice league saying that he betrayed the characters dc tried to establish but ironically i think she does this to her own movie yeah so i'm just gonna close here i think This movie is mired by a mediocre script, dialogue, and action. It lacks the freshness of its predecessor, and it does not even connect the character to the other DC films she's been in. It concludes in a way that really has no major consequences for any of the main characters, and the message is something only a liberal white feminist could create, something worse than a America was already great sentiment. Interestingly, the message that Soul wants you to take away is similar, but it's handled with a dafter hand. We'll get more on that later. The main character also isn't someone who could solve most of the world's problems. Diana ultimately ends the film with the same mindset as the first film, so there really was no development for Diana at all. And while I had issues with the first film, it was smaller in scope. It achieved its goals, and it had broader appeal. And I don't see how, sorry y'all, rational adults can look at the plot choices in this movie and conclude that it is good, let alone better than the first film. It's a bit of a slog, so it's hard to recommend even at home. But if you do choose to watch the film, home is the best place to do it while you have the option to do other things in the background, like fold your laundry or clip your toenails. So this gets about a two two tiaras, no no offense, out of five. <laughs> All right. As a nitpick, there's an increased black presence in the film, but it's pretty paltry. So there's as an article, I forgot where, but it said... This is like a white salad with black bacon bits around. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, There are more black Amazonians in the first film, but they don't talk still. No hint of Nubia. Diana saves a black girl in the mall, and they wink at each other. Natasha Rothwell from Insecure. Growth gets a few lines. Um, Pedro Pascal gets a black assistant with a couple lines, but that's it. Oh, there's a homeless person. The only homeless person is black, a black man, and Kristen Wiig regularly gives him food. So thanks, white women. I appreciate it. Yay. Yay. Cool. Cool. Great. Okay. I'm going to get into spoilers now. You ready? Yep. So the reason why all this crap is happening, all the the drama, is because they find an artifact called the Dreamstone. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much like a monkey paw where... You get what you want, but at a cost. So in this film, Wonder Woman accidentally wishes Steve to come back, but he's in another body. Okay. So like his mind's in this handsome guy's body, 
and she's losing her powers. What's wild is, why does she get a double whammy? Because the other people who make those wishes only get one condition, but she got two. On top of that, the timeline of losing her powers was inconsistent, as well as what power she lost. When people made a wish, whatever they had or whatever the cost was, it was taken from them almost immediately. Mm. So throughout this whole hour or so, she's, and of course, it's the span over days or whatever, she's, her powers are coming in and out. And I want to get to the powers because I told you that she made some new ones. The original movie showed her discovering her powers as the story went on. And I would have thought that this movie would show off more, maybe even her limits, because we still don't really have a clear idea about what she can really do and, and the limits, right? But for this film, she was underpowered for most of it. She was only at full power when she fought mall robbers, and then the very end when she fought Cheetah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? And again, she's still just fighting humans, so it's like, how can I really understand what she can really, really do? For example, she got shot with a bullet in the desert. And it wasn't like it seriously injured her. It hurt her. She screamed out. But it wasn't like it pierced her and she was just out. She was kind of hurt. It was, it was an inconvenience. But we didn't know what she could do or endure at her max if she got shot like that. It takes away the stakes because I don't understand what's going on. This movie never gave us a good idea of what her powers really were. In the second film, you still haven't done that. And I think that's a real detriment. Yeah, that's a shortcoming. Remember, um, was it Civil War or Winter Soldier when Cap try to hold the helicopter together yeah. and you see him struggling and you're like okay this is a limit I can see what's happening now right. there was none of that really in this film that let me understand feats you know comic books are all about feats mm-hmm. also again how do you make powers by losing them in this film her and Steve steal a fighter jet from the Smithsonian to travel somewhere now it's of course very lucky that they found a jet that has fuel in it just lying around. Also lucky that it has enough fuel to go there. Also lucky that a man whose only experience is flying monoplanes in World War One is somehow able to fly a modern-day fighter jet just easily. So they get in the jet, they start trying to take off, but then Diana's like, oh, yeah, um, by the way, radar is developed so that they could track us. And he's like, yo, why didn't you tell me that before we did this? And, you, and I'm thinking, yeah, why didn't you? Like, it turns into Scooby-Doo. Oh, man, Steve, they're going to find us. <laughs> it's like, so what does she do? She puts her hands together and starts rubbing them. You know what? I've been working on this invisibility thing, but I never really was able to, to master it. Let me just try it out now. And you're like, what? Like, when did this? Suddenly what? she's able to just be like, you know, I think this is a good idea. Let me create this thing. Yeah, I've never shown this in the film. Any, There's no hint of this ever, even in the later films have never shown this ability but let me just you know try it out bam and then (laughs) she makes a plane invisible and you're like what (laughs) it was terrible and then she learns how to fly so i said that in the general that having her learn a new power while she's losing them kind of undermines the overall plot of her losing powers with flight it's steve who's in the plane who tells her what flying feels like. Oh, you know, you just feel the air and become one with it and you just go go with it. For nearly a century, she's never attempted or mastered flight. And the idea that a man has to teach you how to do it undermines the self-reliant feminist message, in my opinion. And the advice doesn't even make sense. Does Superman just feel one with the air and just 
goes with it. No, he just he just he can just fly. Neither of them even know that flight is possible for her. That's like the Hulk having immense strength and whatever and saying, I'm pretty cool. I think I could probably wing this and just jumps into the sky and just wills it so. It's also ironic that she spent 70 years and she never even tried to learn how to fly. Or just think about it. Like, right. hey, I'm I'm still developing powers. Let me just get on a soapbox you know, and, usually, and just like, jump and see if I can hover for a minute. You know, right. nothing. Flight is like a basic superhero power, too. Like most superheroes at least have tried to see if they have the power of flight in the beginning. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. It's it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. And I know that Dinah initially glides on the wind in the comics before it got retconned to her just being able to fly. But this is mad silly. And again, why didn't she use her flight powers against Doomsday or in the Justice League? She has these things, and the writers are not using what she has. Speaking of, of possible, so in this film, while she's learning to, to fly, she lassos clouds like they were buildings. It's like giving, giving Superman web shooters. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And again, I was talking about how things were head-scratching weird. Like, she can grab clouds and lightning. By this logic, she could theoretically just grab air to propel herself at any time. How is she able to grab on? Oh, she also jumps into the sky and lassos the tail of a 747 jumbo jet and just lets the jet pull her. And I'm like, that's one hell of a risk to the people on board. What if that failed and you just broke the plane? Oh, that would have been terrible. You know? And, oh my and, gosh. and at that point, she didn't learn how to fly. So it's like, what What do you do? You, it's, oh, it's my, it's, this movie just gave me stress. <laughs> just <laughs> Nothing connects. No. They're just throwing things out there. Yeah, and we're just, we're just supposed to accept it on faith. As I, just, I wasn't with it. And lastly, let me go into consequences. So Pedro Pascal's Max Lord at the end of the, in the film, he's literally destroying the world. Like, so he becomes the Dreamstone. So he becomes really a genie. And he's literally put his himself on all these TVs to get wishes. And by them granting wishes, he takes some, some of their life force. But all these wishes are causing all this chaos. I want more nukes. I want these people dead. I want the, I mean, the world is in absolute chaos. It's about to be destroyed. Like, nuclear war is like the least of the, of the problems. And at the end of it, one woman puts her lasso around him makes him see the truth about how hard his life was and how it could be better. And she kind of talks and tries to convince him to just be a good guy. And then everyone else kind of also renounces their wish at the same time. And she's all in this kind of like, I know life is hard, but it's also beautiful. We just got to tough it out. Like that's pretty much the the message. And when he renounces his, his wish and becomes good again, it isn't like he goes to jail for it. Or, or Cheetah. And it's not like they actually have a conversation with Diana, like, thank you for helping me out. They they literally renounce their wish. They literally just see them kind of fall down, relaxed, panting maybe, and then we never see them again. So again, the, the patty cut may have some discussion with that. Because how does Minerva, how does Barbara go back to work? Because they work together. Mm-hmm. Does she, does she just go back and they just awkwardly just never talk to each other again? Right. <laughs> like, are they are they going to be homies? Like, there's no resolution about that whatsoever. 
But yeah, a longer, a longer cut may make this better, but there's something about this film that would make me want to go back and visit it at all. All right, let's jump to Soul. So this is the latest film from John Doctor, who has either co-written or directed some of your favorite Pixar movies, Inside Out, Up, Wally, and the first two Toy Story films. This is also the first Pixar film with the black lead, played by Jamie Foxx, and it's also the first Pixar film to be co-written and directed by a black man. Yep. Kim Powers. One, I love the fact that, you know, we're doing things. It's great. We're doing things. We're, we're making moves. Big moves. I do hate how long it has taken for, for Pixar, of all things, to mm-hmm. finally have a black a black male lead, you know, because like what Princess Tiana was 2D. So it wasn't Pixar. So right. it took so long for Pixar to finally have a black character leading a film. That's true. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm glad. I just hate how long it took. And he's, he's also said it in interviews that he it has taken too long and he hopes that I think he's going to do some other projects right now. And he hopes that when he comes back, there's another Kemp Powers there. Yeah. He doesn't they don't have to just have have their one black friend right but yeah there's a lot of expectations writing on this film something that i was worried about despite it being a movie with a lot of black people was that most of the film will be spent with characters as this blue green entity there's a good article about how animators turn people of color into colors other than their original one mm. and that's got to stop with princess tiana right yep. wasn't she a frog she was a frog for a big chunk of the movie yeah luckily black people are shown plenty in this film they have great designs mannerisms and there are whole scenes that are definitively black particularly involving hair oh yeah <laughs> one one scene turned to a horror film for me <laughs> yeah and at least as far as the costume design goes and the way the mom interacted with her son and the mom's friends interacted with each other like yeah. that just felt very very black and i was alive for it the drip the drip <laughs> i was right. here for it it's like Black Panther where you can enjoy this film by itself, mm-hmm. but if you're black, there's little things that just that an extra seasoning. Right. That just makes it makes little, it special little, for little us. Seasoning on top. Totally. This this is a well seasoned film. Let's rewind to the premise. So Joe Gardner, played by Jimmy Fox, and that's a great jazz name, Joe Gardner. Right. Has loved jazz since he was a child, but hasn't broken through to being a professional musician. He's been a teacher, but he's finally gotten the big break of his life to play in a renowned jazz quartet. And unfortunately, caught up in his excitement, he has a near-death experience and his soul is transported to the afterlife. He finds himself in a mentorship program where he must help the most unmotivated young soul find its spark that could help him get back to Earth in time to realize his dreams. And along the way, both characters teach each other and the audience about what life is about. So no, I don't, you know, this is not like a, no tension. I love this movie. I do too. Oh my gosh. I love this movie so much. So good. So good. So cute. Makes you think about life. Uh, Especially for this year where we're all down and, and depressed. Yes. I talked about Wonder Woman also having this kind of, it's a wonderful life kind of message. But this one felt a lot more sincere. Yeah. And, rel- and relative to my life. Right. Because I know for a lot of us this year, we have felt 
kind of a loss of meaning. You mm-hmm. know, 2020, 2020 is a lost year for a lot of people and they're down. And this is a really feel good movie that I think we didn't know we needed. Right. Because I had no idea what this is about. I haven't watched the trailers for this. I didn't watch any trailers. I just saw a picture right. saying that this is a movie with a black cast. And I was like, great, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm in. It's Pixar, black folks, I'm black in. Black people, for, for, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's get to the cast because it's a really great ensemble. Mm-hmm. Besides Jimmy Fox, we have Tina Fey as the unmotivated Soul 22. Felicia Rashad plays Joe's mother. Quest Love is a former student that helps Joe get his break. Angela Bassett plays the leader of the quartet. And I loved her hair. Again. Oh, beautiful. Again, just really great designs. Really great designs. The fro? Yes. Yes. They had the hair on point. Look at that four hair. Yes. Again, we really have to give credit to Kent Powers. Yes. Because in an interview, he was saying that originally Joe Garner was was, was going to be a white character. Mm. And... When he got on board, he said that he really wasn't interesting at all. And so Kim Powers, we can thank him for really bringing the seasoning to Joe, the main character, and just everything else here. I can't praise him enough for what he did. There are some supporting voices who I'm not familiar with, like Graham Norton, Alice Braga, and Rachel House. But everyone involved just enriches the film with heart and humor. Some things we could... Probably goes in spoiled territory. You, you could... It's best to see it, be surprised by it for, for yourself. Yes. But there's a there's a jab at a basketball team that oh. was hilarious. <laughs> um, the barbershop, there were little Easter eggs in there, mm-hmm. stuff along the walls. Mm-hmm. There's a Tribe Called Quest Easter egg. I don't know yes, if you saw that. Yes, yeah. I saw that one. I got really excited about it. That was dope. And just the just the subtle relationships with barbers mm-hmm. that, that a lot of people, when I've talked to Korean people, they don't have that relationship with their, their their hairdressers. For black people, relationships with their hairdressers last longer than relationships, you know? It's it's true. Even marriages, right? You might be you might be divorced. <laughs> you might have just broken up with someone, but your hairdresser is always there for you. That's right. Yes. That's right. And the idea that you go into the shop and you talk about anything they were talking about jazz, and then they started talking about life in this movie. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. Yeah. All the time. And I love the joke where they were like, hey, you can go get, get cut by that guy over there. And he was like, ugh, nah, I'm good. That was great. <laughs> I've been there. I've had to like not go to a bar because he, cause he notoriously messes up people's yep. lines. Yeah, I definitely really relate to the family dynamic that they had there so when you watch this movie again be surprised it's much better to be surprised but that family dynamic is so relatable mm-hmm. and so realistic and like man when he talked to his mom sideways that one time i got afraid for him because <laughs> black mamas don't play especially felicia rashad oh no she does not play but that was really heartwarming i really liked the, dy- the dynamic between Jimmy Fox and Tina Fey's characters. Yeah. You have a guy who's, who thinks he's so sure about his purpose mm. and one who thinks there's no point to anything mm. and to see them Learn interact. and other. Yeah, it was beautiful, man. It was really, 
it reminds me of me being a teacher, yes. honestly. Like I come into the classroom and I feel like I know what's what it's all about. Right. And the kids may do something totally left field and it'll derail my whole class, but in a great way mm-hmm. that enriches everyone's experience. Mm-hmm. And again, as a teacher, and of course he's a teacher in this film, I really can't get on that level. Yeah, I did too. Like teachers are always learning from students. Always we, learning from students. Yeah, yeah, we learn from each other. I just, I just love that exchange. It's the yeah. best job in the world. I'm trying to think, is there anything else to say? It's like, what else can I say that doesn't spoil the movie? Yeah, I mean, we could spoil it, but yeah, I feel like it's not that deep to need a spoiler yeah. discussion, but... There were things that it did touch on, like, mm. it definitely touches on mental health a little bit, and I felt that was really realistic as a person who has also felt that there's no point to life. Mm. So at some point, you know, I felt that way. So if you've ever felt that way, the movie really does a good job of depicting what it's like to be in that headspace. And I think a lot of us are in that headspace right Especially now. Especially right? with 2020. Mm-hmm. And it's not only downing yourself, but also downing the outside world around you. Right. And also just like Ma Rainey, kind of worsening your relationships with people. Right. And sometimes you consciously know what you're doing and sometimes you consciously don't know what you're doing. Right. So again, I thought that was really powerful. We needed this movie. We really did. Sure. This is a pick-me-up. Yeah. Like I'm about to go home and watch it again. Right? Like, it's such a good movie. I felt so good after I was at peace. You will be at peace. It's such a good movie. Would you call this your favorite Pixar movie? I think so. I know we're, I know we're like fresh out of it, but... I think because we're fresh out of it, we're just like, yeah, this movie's great. But I would put it at at least in the top three. Mm. Toy Story is still one of my favorites. Okay. But I think I would actually put it up there with Toy Story because I left the film feeling just as warm as I felt when I watched Toy Story. Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah. My favorites are Inside Out, Coco. Uh, and this movie made, I think those, I think those are maybe my top three. Yeah. Toy Story's up there too. It's probably like a top five. Yeah. It's, they're, they're like all, sw- all swimming in there. All swimming around. But Soul's definitely up there now. Mm-hmm. And just, just the level of detail for like oh, New York City. Right. And we didn't see this on the big screen. I saw it on, on, on the screen, but I would like to go to the big screen to just see how the great beyond looks mm-hmm. because those shots were really beautiful. Amazing. Kim Powers. I, I really look forward to what he does next because he he really brought it with this movie he did that Mm. okay well we're getting the blinking lights to get out so i'm going to have to cut this show a little short but i want to thank tar for for being here and again we are blurred up at b-l-e-r-d no sorry Again, if you want to find us on Facebook, we are B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D-P-R-U-P. And we're on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. We're also on birds.com, our partners. Thank you all very much. In the spirit of soul and finding your purpose and being at peace, we're going to close the show out with a song called Sacred Safe from the album Innocent Country 2 by Quelle Chris and Chris Keys. I just did our favorite rap albums of the year show previously but i feel like if i had heard this album before i recorded this it would have been in there mm. so it gets recognition so check that album out hope you guys enjoy the song and peace Bye.
Every single person on earth, mercy, lot of mercy. The skin affliction of my pigments now extended to my upper arm. I have no idea what I want. And normally if chicks approach with a come on, I might nod. But now they like, come on, I'm like, nah. I'm on the age before the gods conspired The era when I was not tired Blood clot fire Feel like I'm being burned on a pyre Feel like I'm being turned to a bird on a wire It's way too much to swallow when a part of me Like follow me to wallow in the mire I'm like yes I am regularly on edge Here's another shot at trying to be on S Vital part of making omelets is break eggs Despite all of it I still remember that job bless Yes, 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 yes.